When I agreed to preach on Palm Sunday, I did it in part out of respect for all the memories and lessons learned during the many holy weeks I celebrated when I was growing up. My heart today is filled with memories. And in this first reading by Elizabeth, we learn about Jesus entering Jerusalem on Sunday. He entered triumphantly to the hosannas and the excitement of the crowds covering the ground with their garments and with branches and palms like these ones that you are holding in your hands today. And by Friday, that horrific Friday, as we learn from Janice's reading, Jesus' disciples had abandoned him, denied him, and the multitudes were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, away with him. The first sad lesson I learned from the stories of this week is that we humans as a whole and as individuals, century after century had proven to be fickle. Without much effort to find the facts and truth about individuals, one day we glorify them and the next day we crucify them. We do the same to groups and organizations. And the higher they have reached, it seems, the more twisted satisfaction we seem to derive from putting them down. Another sad lesson of this week is that of betrayal and abandonment when loyalty and protection were most needed. Although with the best intentions, Peter, the disciple, that rock of strength, when the time came to be loyal, could not overcome the fear of the consequences of his loyalty and deny Jesus three times. I was always moved contemplating the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus agonized about his impending death. Although he asked his disciples repeatedly to keep vigil while he prayed, none could keep their eyes open. I just can only imagine the feeling of abandonment by those who were his closest followers. Judas, another disciple, driven by greediness, sold his beloved master for 25 silver coins and signaled him to his enemies by kissing him on the cheek. Regarding betrayal, again from the Bible, but this time from the Hebrew scriptures, I learned about one of the most extreme and vicious betrayals throughout history, that of the betrayal of women as a gender. I consider this one of the most, if not the most, heinous betrayals for the dire and lasting consequences it has had throughout history. The moment I realized that Genesis contained two different stories of creation, it became impossible for me not to dream of how different our world would have been and how much suffering could have been avoided were not it for this betrayal. But what if the fathers of the church had used their absolute authority to teach humanity the first story of creation? Just imagine if we had been told that men and women had been created equal, as we read in Genesis, 12628. There God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. So God created humankind in his image, 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Equally, mind you, and blessed, not cursed on top of that. But to our dismay and horror, at least to mine, this church authorities and men in charge of the lives of the people kept repeating century after century the second story of creation, as in Genesis 2, 18, Their woman was made from Adam's rib to be just a fit helper to him because none of the animals that God had made out of mud could help him adequately. A helper, not an equal. In Genesis 3, God cursed the serpent, Adam, and Eve. In Genesis 3.16, God said to the woman, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. What a betrayal. Entire populations have and still are suffering collective violence or collective neglect from those in power. Every day we witness all forms of betrayal by our government. Just an immediate example, the way in which our veterans are treated. So much patriotic language, so much supporting our troops before they are physically maimed and psychologically wounded. Upon their return, for many, homelessness and addictions are their reward. Sadly, violence seems to be all around us as a force bent on destroying our will and our hopes. The daily awareness and pain of seeing so many lives lost or forever changed for the worst, cities cities and villages destroyed, thousands of children left orphans or maimed, and entire families homeless can become unbearable and at times numbing. From homes and even from churches, we hear the cries of women and children, and some men also. Victims of the ultimate betrayal, that of sexual abuse and or domestic violence. These forms of betrayal are extremely painful and difficult to deal with. Children betrayed by parents, supposedly their protectors and guardians that should love them unconditionally, are victims of one of the most abhorrent crimes. To this day, I know several, if not many of us, still keep secret and untouched certain hurts received in our childhood or adolescent years. Although painful to discover, these dark areas of the soul can become towering impediments to our growth and to our happiness. It is for this of paramount importance to little by little let the light in, to let the healing rays of compassion and forgiveness restore our wholeness that we in turn become capable of loving, of having joy and of living in peace, which for many is the most desirable and ultimate goal. The truth is that we all have been wounded in major or lesser ways. We all have suffered disillusionment, injustice, abandonment, violation of our rights, 
misunderstanding, judging. The list is longer for some than for others. But while we are alive, there is hope of finding a way to forgiveness, to healing, and to peace. To avoid becoming paralyzed by fear, by anger, despair, or helplessness, I have to remind myself often that I am not alone in my pain and helplessness. Most importantly, that they are where and still are, if I care to notice, prophets of peace and love whose examples and words can help me regain my hope. For how could you or I or anybody lose heart and become a casualty of despair when we still have living among us such treasures of courage and generosity of spirit in the way they could forgive those who betrayed them and attain peace? Prophets such as Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, and Thich Han, and of course the Dalai Lama, who said, it is the enemy who can truly teach us to practice the virtues of compassion and tolerance. Rebecca Parker, which many of you may know, she's the president of Starkin School for the Ministry, a victim of sexual abuse by a neighbor and with some other tragic encounters with life, tell us in her book, Proverb of Ashes, that she found a change of heart the very night she was determined to end her life. She writes of that night. It would be wrong to think of that moment, of this moment, as one in which joy triumphed over despair or love of life defeated desire for death. Such view assumes that bad feelings need to be excised or suppressed by stronger, better feelings. And she adds later, later pain, pain, sadness, and despair were not eliminated or overcome. I embraced them within a larger heart. All the feelings and memories I had couldn't be held by a decision to die. I could only hold everything with a decision to live. How can we change our desire to die into a desire to live? How can we transform our souls into sanctuaries of peace, love, and justice attained through forgiveness? I would like to suggest that a first step could be trying to emulate the men and women of peace who live their lives with such passion and such purpose that nothing stands in their way. That requires that, like them, we surrender to, at the times, scary, yet always glorious call to work for peace and love and forgiveness. It also requires developing the ability to forgive even the most unjust and cruel things done to us and to those we love, and dare I say, to our country. Because we understand that anger, revenge, and despair poison the soul and the mind and damage the physical body. I realize that what I just said might sound to some radical and perhaps even stupid or naive. But I am convinced that radical love, radical faith, radical peace demand radical forgiveness. Of course, you and I understand 
that forgiveness is not the same as forgetting or being passive, much less condoning the wrongs done to our country, to our families, or to us. To forgive is to see through the eyes of the offended and the offender with the eyes of compassion. This is a very Buddhist and Christian concept. An amazing lesson in courage and in forgiveness learned from this week is precisely that of Jesus seen through the eyes of compassion. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus tells Peter, could you not watch with me an hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Such an understanding of human nature. The spirit is willing always, but the flesh is weak. Jesus' words of forgiveness pronounced from the cross were perhaps the most impacting to me, always. Father, forgive them, for they, do know not, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness also means using all the ways possible to understand the root cause of the offense. It also means negotiation, compensation, and many other, perhaps, intricate solutions. Sounds difficult? Of course it is. The irony is that sometimes a lesser offense can hurt much more than a huge one. Sometimes we keep these grievances for little things that were done to us, but they keep hurting. However large or small the hurt, unless we commit ourselves to this difficult work and the path of forgiveness, the horror, the violence, and the self-destruction brought by our inability to, inability to enter the path will continue eroding our happiness, our peace, and our joy. As true Unitarian Universalists, with such an illustrious heritage of love and compassion, the least we can do is to contemplate the possibility of bending and working on the side of peace and universal love through forgiveness. In our own times, we have seen the examples of peacemakers who, by practicing generosity of spirit through forgiveness, change themselves and change entire countries. Witness to these are the tribunals of reconciliation sprouting in so many places and sadly needed in so many more. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission was a court-like restorative justice body assembled in South Africa after the abolition of apartheid. Witnesses who were identified as victims of gross human rights violations were invited to give statements about their experiences and some were selected for public hearings. Perpetrators of violence could also give testimony and request amnesty from both civil and criminal prosecutions. There are so many truth and, recon and reconciliation commissions and their need is growing. Among the most prominent, many of you will remember the first ones in South Africa and in Peru. A very moving example of courage and forgiveness came from South Africa in the person of Jubilisiwe and Gubane, who lost her mother and children in an attack in South Africa 
and who said, it is not easy to forgive, but because he stepped forward and asked to be forgiven, I have no choice. I must forgive him. Another voice from South Africa said, some did forgive. It cannot be demanded. It cannot be presumed. It cannot be even expected. Where it happens, it is grace. On this spring day, in which after a harsh winter, the buds are sprouting everywhere, I want to urge you, as I am urging myself, to open your souls to hopeful grace. Let us hear the voices of nature calling us to open, to shoot our tentative buds to the sky so they can become full blooms. May we discover through doubt and anguish the strength to lead with dignity and holiness. May we discover through suffering and fear the strength to move towards healing. May we be able to tap into our internal power and say enough, enough to our shame, our victimhood, to our helplessness and sadness. And let us remember the words in the call to worship today. Sing songs as you go and hold close together. You may at times grow confused and lose your way. Touch each other and keep telling the stories. Make maps as you go, remembering the way back before you were born. I am with you now. I am waiting for you. Let us trust that once we open our arms to the embrace to embrace the spirit of life and love, that spirit withhold us, nurture us, so that we may open to the new possibilities of joy, to the warmth of friendship, and to the wonders of this immense universe. Amen and blessed be. Que así sea. Please join me in the spirit of prayer as I recite without love a prayer composed by the Reverend Egbert Ethelred Brown, the first African-American to be ordained as a Unitarian minister in 1912. He went on to found churches in Kingston, Jamaica, and Harlem, New York. As we face a troubled and puzzled world, we too are troubled and puzzled. As our fond dreams remain unrealized and our bright hopes of yesterday wither in the bitter disappointments of today, our courage fails, our spirits droop, our faith trembles, and frustrated, we bow our heads in despair. Nevertheless, we come to God in this hour of worship in this house of prayer. As we pray for peace in our time, O oh God, may we ourselves be at peace with the world, with ourselves, and with thee. May we know that without love, there will never be peace. Teach us, therefore, to love. What does this world need more than love? May we, after hearing the message of today, leave this place inspired and strengthened, faithfully to fulfill the duties of tomorrow. Amen.
Today, I wanted this service to be a service of healing. And for that, to contribute to that, I am going to lead you in a meditation, a Buddhist meditation called Metta Meditation, a meditation of loving kindness. Probably many of you know how to do it. This is a version that will help us to see through the eyes of the offender with the eyes of compassion. It's a very difficult meditation, probably for some, but I ask you to try at least, just try a little bit. Forgiveness is not just one deal, it's just a journey. I invite you now to relax, to take three good big, big deep breaths, and to trust the process. At the sound of the bell, I will begin leading. I invite you to go now to a beautiful place, be it in nature, your own home, the mountains, a beautiful meadow, the woods, any place where you really, really feel safe, where you feel at peace, where you have experienced love, and most of, all, most of all, safety. And I invite you to bring now into your mind a person that you want to forgive for something that this person had done to you, something hurtful, something that you want to forgive, to be free. And imagine this person being a child, a five-year-old child. How does a year old, five-year-old child behaves? Is curious, is happy, is innocent, is carefree for the most part. So was this person that you are trying to forgive. Now let's advance the age of this person to 10 years old. What happened in the meantime to this person? Maybe he or she start learning that he might not be the best boy or girl. He might have been hurt himself or herself. 
very still is a child, a lovable child. Now this person is 15 years old, entering adolescence, bewildered about the world, not knowing what the future will bring. Perhaps have a bad self-image. Perhaps his or her self-esteem is on the ground because so many people had said bad things about him or her. What about this person at 20 years old? He might have done things that had hurt others, including you. Perhaps this person has good traits, things that you used to appreciate and love. And now you can advance the age of the person to the moment when he or her hurt you. If anger comes back to you, it is okay. Stay with that. If despair comes to you, it is okay. Stay with that. If you think it's too hard even to contemplate beginning to forgive, remember it's a journey. Take your time. Forgiving is a process. Try to imagine in your heart and in your mind how it will be if you will really and truly would be able to forgive this person. How your life will be free of that sadness and anger. How you could move into other and better things. How you could be at peace in your own heart. how all that wasted energy in not forgiving could be used for your own joy, for your own peace. If you think that you might be ready, maybe just a little bit ready, I invite you to say to this person, saying the name of the person. I forgive you, or at least I am trying to forgive you for all that you had done to me in thought, in words, or in actions. I forgive you. It is so hard, but I try to forgive you. Also, it would be a good idea to take advantage of this moment and ask for forgiveness, because you might have hurt this person also without even knowing. 
so you might say, for all that I had done to you in thought, in words, in actions, I ask for your forgiveness. Just observe what is happening in your heart and in your mind. You might want to congratulate yourself to get a pat in your soul for making the effort of at least considering forgiving somebody. Remember this beautiful place that you were in your mind, that you went there, and any time that you want to continue the process of forgiveness, go back in your mind to that place and repeat this exercise. Remember, it's a process. It might be longer than you expect, but if you try and keep on it, you will get there. Peace and love to all of you. Amen.